Hello, and welcome to PDA, Neurodivergence, and the Perpetually Determined Advocate. I am your Perpetually Determined Advocate, Cassandra. This is a bi-weekly podcast dedicated to raising awareness and acceptance of PDA, or Pathological Demand Avoidance, which is a lesser-known part of the autism spectrum. My hope for this podcast is to provide a place of learning and growth, as well as a platform for PDAers, professionals, parents, family members, and others to speak out on this condition, as well as providing resources for those who want to learn more. If you or someone you know would like to come on and use this platform to tell their story, please contact me at perpetuallydeterminedadvocate at gmail.com. Now, let's launch into this episode's topic. And we're back. Sorry about the uh, hiatus there, but, um, you know, as any PDA parent or PDA or knows, things can sometimes get a bit overwhelming, and that's where I was last month. Um, full disclosure, uh, I was actually planning to release this episode, record this episode last week, and then release it um, this past Sunday, uh, well, yesterday, but... Um, <laughs> So last week I ended up with laryngitis. You can kind of still hear a bit of a scratch in my voice, so I apologize for that. But that's why this wasn't released when it normally would on a Sunday, um, because last week I was fighting just to have a voice, and I finally pretty much got it completely back, so now I can get this thing on here. Um, yeah, as far as why I took the break, beginning of October... I had a massive panic attack, um, and after gasping for breath and shaking for a couple of hours, I made a command decision to give myself some space to regroup. Um, things have also been ramping up with Little Man. His PDA presentation is shifting, shall we say, um, into more of an aggressive place, and I felt that I needed to give that my focus as well, um, both aggressive internally and externally, which has been an interesting um, journey. So, you know, we're working with meds, you know, uh, anyone who has, a, you know, dealt with PDA understands that um, and how it or any type of neurodivergence, really, sometimes you, you kind of have to find a cocktail that helps to mitigate some symptoms. Obviously, we can't medicate autism, um, but there are certain elements of his presentation that can be helped with medication. And um, his uh, depressive states have gotten kind of scary lately too so we're working with his doctors on trying to get that ironed out um you know supporting a pda -er is not always easy and sometimes it keeps you awake at night with worry or tears <laughs> but every moment is worth the struggle and i honestly wouldn't trade it However, uh, these worries, these tears, these concerns do raise a question that has also been requested as a topic from a fellow PDA parent for the podcast. And that is, what happens if things get out of hand at home and you have to call 911, right? And that's what I want to talk about this episode. Now, 
Some of the information was hard to hear in the interview with the police officer. So I would caution parents now uh, that these won't all be easy things to hear. I asked some difficult questions and I got some equally difficult answers. Just a caveat here before I sort of dive into the topic. But recently, uh, myself and little man's dad sat down with an officer from the local police department to ask very candidly about this issue, right? I think we all know that when our loved one with PDA has a meltdown, authority figures stepping in and ordering them around can be a disastrous combination, right? Um, So what can you do ahead of time to help prepare law enforcement officers for what they'll meet at your house? And what should you do in the event of calling for emergency assistance, right? These are the things that I wanted to sort of get into with him. So one of the first things that you can do is just what we did, right? Go and meet with someone at your local police department. Or if you are in a larger city, uh, someone at your local precinct, right? Someone who is directly related with the folks that are going to be dispatched to your house if you have to call for um, assistance, right? Let them know when you go in that you want to speak with an officer regarding your situation and would also like an alert placed on your address, right? So when you sit down with the officer, first, like, explain your child's diagnosis. And, of course, that means you'll have to relay most likely what PDA is to them. Um, You know, very often you're not going to – it's not very often you're going to find someone who – knows what it is, right? We're all very familiar with that. That's the whole reason this podcast exists is to help raise, to raise that awareness. Um, I didn't bring any handouts or anything with me because I wasn't sure that, um, whether or not they would be used or if it would be helpful in that situation, but you certainly could do that as well. Um, there's a great printable on the PDA society's website that I'll link in the episode description and you could use to bring with you. It's a like brochure style type of thing. It's a free download. You can print it out and take that with you if you'd like to. Um, that's something that I've brought with me before whenever I was explaining what PDA is to teachers um, and, you know, school, different school officials. I've brought that before. So that's something that can be helpful in explaining it. Now, um, the next thing you need to do is explain your child's PDA presentation, right? We all know that this varies highly from person to person, right? There is no one size fits all for any type of neurodivergence. Nobody ticks all the boxes. Nobody is going to, you know, it's not going to be the same from one person to the next. Everyone's presentation is different. And so you need to explain to this officer what your child's particular presentation is, right? Um, In my kiddo's case, it's more self-destructive, but he has gotten a bit more aggressive with others recently too. So that's something that I discussed with them. You know, he's more likely to try to hurt himself, but, you know, 
there are times whenever he will take a swing. So these are the kinds of things you need to relate. How does your child react in a, you know, in a stressful situation when they are operating on impulse, when they are in a meltdown, when they're having a panic attack, um, what are the types of actions that they can expect, right? Um, tell them what generally happens and whether or not your child can be talked down, right? Let them know these things. Um, give them all the information you can about how you diffuse meltdowns or if you can and or what aids in that de-escalation, right? Also, if there is anything that can be especially triggering to your child in a meltdown, um, tell them that as well, right? They can take that information and write up an alert that will then be attached to your address. And what that means is in the event that police are dispatched to your address, they, that alert will come up and they will be aware prior to arrival about your child's diagnosis and some basic information regarding what not to do, right? The officer who met with us said that knowing these things ahead of time can help the officer on scene understand how to approach the situation. Knowing that they need to use a calm voice, knowing that they need to avoid, you know, um, stern domineering tones, um, and forceful language can help them to try to resolve the conflict and it can really help the situation to be much more positive for everyone involved. Now, we also had a chance to introduce Little Man to a couple of officers. He wasn't with us the day that we went to meet with um, the officer at the police department, but um, a couple weeks later... We, when we went out trick-or-treating, as a matter of fact, um, there were some officers at the barricades because the neighborhood we go into, they sort of block off the streets and let, you know, there's a lot of houses where kids go trick-or-treating in there. And there were a couple of the officer we met with was there and there were a couple of other officers there at the barricade. Um, and so we stopped and talked to them um, and it gave them a chance to see him for who he is outside of a meltdown. Um, you know, the officer was like, he seems like such a sweet kid. And I'm like, he is a sweet kid. Um, but he is a sweet kid that, you know, struggles at times. Right. And that's, that's one of those things that I, I try not to get offended about because he didn't mean it in an offensive way. He wasn't like, oh, he seems like such a nice kid, you know, for somebody with issues or trying to discount um, what I was saying. He wasn't meaning it in that way. Um, so I try not to get offended when people are like, oh, he seems like such a sweet kid. Um, because sometimes people are like, I mean, are you sure there's something going on? Because that just doesn't seem to fit with what we see. And it's like, okay, <laughs> um, that's a whole different can of worms. That's to do with like masking and all of these other things that go along with autism and different profiles of neurodivergence as well. So yes, I'm sure, <laughs> you know, he's medically diagnosed. Um, but anyway, I digress. Um, getting back to this. It gave them that chance to see him outside of a meltdown, to see him for who he is um, as a person, right? And not just his condition, not just his diagnosis, rather, right? Um, it also gave him a chance to sort of 
meet these people in a non-stressful situation as well to familiarize their faces to get to know who these people were. And I know I am probably getting ahead of myself in um, this situation because my son is only eight and he's a bit small for his age. He's always been small for his age. He takes after me Um, and I can still manage with him. Right. So if he starts flailing physically, if he starts swinging, if he starts trying to hurt himself, he is still at a size and I still have the strength to where I can, you know, I can handle it. Right. So the odds of me having to call 911 anytime soon because he's a threat to himself or someone else's safety, it's highly unlikely. However, I am a realist and I acknowledge the fact that at some point in the future, that could very well be the issue. Whenever PDAers, whenever anyone who is having a meltdown goes into this situation, there's adrenaline kicking, right? There's more strength involved, right? You've seen people do crazy things when adrenaline is, is running high, when, you know, anxiety is running high. So I realized that at some point I may have to call for some sort of emergency assistance. And I'm the type of person who hopes for the best, but prepares for the worst. I am going to operate on the assumption that, you know, things are going to be okay, but I'm going to be prepared just in case they aren't. And I think that's something that a lot of PDA parents have had to sort of That's a a beast we've had to look in the face. Like, you think of how can this go wrong? You think of escape routes. You think of what, you know, what are all the possible ways or directions that this could go, both good and bad, because you are always looking out for your child. You're always looking out for things that could be a potential trigger, things that could, you know, set them off, things that could put them in danger. And so... This is just part of that. Do I think that this is something I'm going to encounter anytime soon? No, not really. Um, But do I think this is something that could happen in the future? Possibly. And so I'd rather prepare for this now and know that my bases are covered. Now, um, we were also able to have that same alert that was placed on my address, placed on his dad's address too. Um, That way, just in case something happens while he's over there, they're covered too. Um, So, all right, you've had the alert set on your address and the worst happens, right? Your child uh, has escalated to the point of a meltdown and you have to call 911, right? What do you do? Well, let's look at how to handle this at home first, right? Uh, The first thing to do is try your best to stay calm with the dispatcher. Advise them of the situation and call attention to the alert that has been placed on your address. Tell them what is going on. Communicate as clearly as you can the specifics of this situation. Yes, they have the alert saying your child has PDA. Yes, they have the alert saying that they can sometimes react violently and, you know, that this is a form of neurodivergence, but explain to them this particular situation, right? Because the other thing is, while one size fits all doesn't apply to all PDAers, one size fits all doesn't apply to an individual PDAers meltdowns, 
right? They can differ from one to the next, right? So communicate this specific situation. What is going on? What is setting your, uh, your kiddo off in this situation? What do officers, when they get on scene, need to avoid in this situation, right? Give them as much information as possible to relay to the officers about what is happening and what they need to know before arriving. If possible, have someone outside to meet the officers and help get them up to speed on um, any questions they have regarding PDA or this specific child's presentation or anything that might have been missed in the alert or that you may not have relayed to the dispatcher um, on the phone, right? Because again, if you're in a stressful situation, sometimes you might forget to add something. Um, so if possible, have someone um, who can meet the officers and get them up to speed um, as they're coming in. Make sure they know that your child is not acting out of malice, that they are acting on impulse in a high anxiety situation in the midst of a panic attack. Because understanding that this is due to a neurodivergent condition and not a deliberate attack is important for them to know, right? That is going to change how they approach this situation. In the event of a potential injury, EMS will be staged just in case they're needed to treat someone. Um, they are also sometimes staged in case they have to deliver a tranquilizer. Here is where some of this uncomfortableness is going to come in. Um, while none of us want to think about our children having to be sedated, um, it is a potential or a possibility, right? It is something that could happen. Um, now, I was told by the officer that this is only used in the event that the situation cannot be de-escalated, um, that in situations where there is a lot of violent or aggressive action that cannot be subdued. Um, so it's not a first action, right? My concern at this point, though, was to add in that my kiddo is a runner, right? He goes more into flight then fight when he spins out away from himself. Uh, the officer said that they will try to pursue him calmly, but again, he explained that he may have to be restrained in order to get him back to the house and calm down. Um, he said they would do their best. They, you know, they are going to do their best to try to prevent any sort of injury, um, but uh, they also have to consider not only his safety, but the safety of others around him, right? Now, he did add at this point that in the event of someone being held against their will inside of a home, not that this is something that any of us really perceive that you know, our kids are going to do, but he did just add as a caveat, look, if anyone is ever being held against their will inside the home by this individual, protocol dictates that SWAT is dispatched in that situation, not just a standard officer SWAT is dispatched. Um, and they will, you know, they're supposed to use rubber bullets and bean bags to take them down. All right. Should, uh, that situation arrive, that's, that's the protocol there. Again, I was like, I don't think that's going to be a problem, but you know, duly noted, we will sort of be prepared in, in case that horrible situation was ever to happen. Um, the same, 
uh, alert system that is used for the police is also sent to fire as well. So should uh, the fire department ever be called to your address because of a fire or um, should they ever be dispatched out with police and EMS, then they will also receive that same alert on your address that the police officers do, letting them know um, what to kind of giving them that information of what to expect when they arrive. I feel like the alert is a really good thing to have in place um, because, you know, I mean, not just even for PDA households, but for other forms of neurodivergence as well, right? This way you have taken steps to help make any potentially dangerous situation less likely to end in tragedy. We all know that sometimes the fight, flight, freeze, and impulsive behavior can cause some problematic decisions or behaviors in, you know, in individuals with, you know, various different types of neurodivergence. And so if police officers are made aware of a neurodivergent individual and their particular presentations ahead of time, hopefully that can make a real difference in their approach to the call out and avoid any tragic situations. Now, what happens if you're not at home where there is an alert on the address and you have to call 911? I asked about school and his dad asked about uh, just being out in the general public. Um, as far as a meltdown that results in calling 911 at school, he assured me that the school faculty or staff member would relay the relevant information regarding my son's diagnosis ahead of time to ensure the situation is approached with calm and caution. However, since most of the school faculty and staff in our district and so many others are unaware of what PDA is, I remain a bit cautious of whether the full message can really be relayed in this instance. I'm sure many of you can relate to the struggle of trying to relay to teachers or administrators at schools um, what PDA is, how best to approach it, things to avoid, um, you know, and this isn't to pick on my school in particular, just in general, like how often do you explain it and people not hear you or understand you? How often do they think that it's just you letting your child run your household despite the fact that they have a medical diagnosis, right? And so you see why this particular situation gives me pause. Now, what about out in public or at someone else's house? In this situation, you would essentially use some of the same process as you would at home. Communicate as much as you can to the dispatcher and try to be as specific and clear as possible with the things that will absolutely cause the problem to escalate and best approaches to helping de-escalate, right? Also, it might not be a bad idea to keep some sort of an alert card or an information card on you to give um, to the officer in case you can't really explain. Um, I remember when we were getting my son's diagnosis, um, when he was going for the assessment, uh, we were staying in a hotel. He started having a meltdown early one morning, and to avoid him waking people in the nearby rooms, I started to take him outside. 
A man saw me carrying a kicking, screaming child out to a car and was obviously alarmed. Now, he eventually realized that this was my son and that I was trying to calm him down. However, in that situation with my son yelling, I couldn't have really explained all that, but having a card to present to someone would be helpful. The PDA Society, I believe, also has both uh, awareness cards and alert cards and car stickers. Um that you can purchase to give out but I'm planning to sort of make one that is a bit more specific to my son's profile to aid in any sort of misunderstandings Um, the main thing with any of these situations no matter where you are is communication right make sure the officers know that this is not someone acting out of malice or spite or cruelty this is a neurodivergent person acting on impulse and sometimes without even realizing what they're doing until after they've done it this information is vital in trying to prevent the unimaginable happening to your child or loved one right this isn't just advice for parents um believe me my heart is with you all as we try to help our kids and loved ones navigate the world made for neurotypical people and not neurodivergent ones. More awareness is absolutely the key, and I will keep doing my part in that fight until we reach better acceptance. Now, we are still going to have Dr. Jennifer Corey of Iceberg Therapy Services on in a future episode. I know um, the last full-length episode that we did... I mentioned that she was going to be on the next one. Dr. Corey and I had technical issues in our interview, um, but we do plan to try again soon, and I'm very much looking forward to that conversation. Thank you for staying on this path with me while we work toward creating a better world for PDA. As always, you can email me with any questions, comments, constructive criticism, or concerns at perpetuallydeterminedadvocate at gmail.com. You can also find the podcast on social media. Just search PDA Neurodivergence and the Perpetually Determined Advocate on Facebook or Instagram. And until next time, remember, in a world where you can be anything, be kind.